Uh, today we're going to look at suffering through a shipwreck. How many's been there? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Suffering through a shipwreck. He didn't say he denied that he ever had a shipwreck. He didn't say that. He didn't say it was a blissful thing to float a night in the day and a day in the deep in the Mediterranean Sea after being shipwrecked. He was realist. And the time that we, uh, the time frame of where we'll read this at in Corinthians is Paul says that he had suffered through three shipwrecks. Well, guess what? He didn't realize it, but there was another one in his future. Because in Acts chapter 27, on his last voyage, because there were four, they say three, but really four major voyages that Paul took in uh, presenting the gospel, uh, that last one was to Rome, and even on that one, he suffered a shipwreck. So at the time of this writing, he had suffered through three, but as we know, he went through at least four different shipwrecks in his life. Second Corinthians, go there, Second Corinthians chapter number 11. <clears throat> Verse number 25, and we could read all of these. This is something that I've went through before about everything that he went through, but let's just read a portion of verse number 25. Find where it says, I suffered shipwreck a night and a day I have been in the deep. A night and a day I have floated in the Mediterranean Sea, in the Mediterranean Ocean. This man went through a lot of things. It didn't just one Sunday morning, he felt slighted because the preacher didn't shake his hand. He went through some real stuff. And thank God for him. And thank God for that kind of grit that he had. Father, we ask and pray for your blessing upon the continued rest of this service. <clears throat> Lord, that you may anoint me to be able to preach your truth this day in Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 27, it is the oldest and most detailed description of a shipwreck in all of literature. In detail, we see what happened. He suffered and, let me add, survived four different shipwrecks. The flooding that we have seen along the Mississippi River has affected, and this is not, of course, all of these states, uh, a detailed description of all the states, but it has affected Missouri, it has affected Arkansas, it's affected Tennessee, it's affected Mississippi, and Louisiana is getting braced for the flooding that will happen in their state as well. And something that I thought about in seeing the different uh, images on the screen is what a lot of them, because there have been casualties, there have been fatalities, and what those people did not need was a cruise ship to come by and to get them. Neither did they need a yacht, neither a barge. But almost all of them people that found themselves in desperate straits, they could have used someone in a motorboat or a lifeboat 
or a rowboat or a canoe or even a raft. And when I thought about that last week, I thought, really, in the gospel message, there have not been too many yachts and cruise ships and super tankers and barges. There have not been very many Billy Grahams that when he preached, thousands and tens of thousands of people are hanging on his every word. There have not been very many D.L. Moody's and Charles Spurgeon's. But they've just been a lot of people like me and you. The Bible talks about not many mighty are called. Been a lot of people like me and you that God has called and used. And we can all be likened to that canoe or that raft or that motorboat or right on down the list we can go, that lifeboat. Matt Hutchcraft told me last week that he works there at General Tire and he asked a friend or somebody that he works with about where are you at right now in your walk with Jesus and said the man dropped his head and said it's not like it used to be. That really is what the gospel is about in presenting the gospel is one-on-one. Oh, no, preacher. It's about me bringing people to church and you preaching the gospel to them. Really, when push comes to shove and right down where the rubber meets the road, it's one-on-one. Because what that does in doing that, and the church don't want to hear that. They won't have any kind of responsibility placed upon their shoulders. No, it's the preacher's job. No, it's not. One-on-one. Sheep produce sheep. Say it again. Don't want to go over anybody's head. Sheep produce sheep. It's not just, quote-unquote, the preacher's job. Oh, preacher, you don't understand. My personality is just totally different from yours. I could never do that, fooey. There are four different personality types. And nobody is strictly one personality. Everybody's a blend of two. And you'll always be about 70-30 or 75-25. You'll be dominant in one personality. But everybody, everybody can be used of God. There is the choleric personality, which Paul, the apostle, was a choleric. A choleric personality, when they mow their yard, they mow flowers and everything. (laughs) It's go, 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 get it done. That's a choleric personality. The sanguine personality. A sanguine personality is the life of the party. The problem with the sanguines are they'll forget when the party is and what they were supposed to bring to the party. But if they ever make it to the party, they're the life of the party. The melancholy personalities, detailed. More millionaires are melancholy personality than all the other three combined. Detailed personalities. 
Michelangelo, melancholy, through and through. He would go and get cadavers and carve people open so we could see what a muscle really looked like. Detailed, where he could see those sinews. Detailed. The phlegmatic personality, even keeled. You know anybody like this? Aren't, aren't they just a, a joy, huh? E- even keeled. Mary Ann patting Chris, her husband, on the leg. That's even keeled personalities. You can find all four personalities in the Bible. I've already mentioned Paul, the cleric. The sanguine. Sanguines will talk and 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 talk. Sanguines go like this on the phone. Yakety yak 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 The Bible says, and Peter said. It says that more times than all the other disciples combined. He is the sanguine. He is the talker. He is the spokesman of the bunch. Then you got melancholies, detailed. I am traveling my way right now through the first five books of the Bible, and Genesis is awesome, and Exodus is awesome, and then you hit Levitikus. <laughs> and it's man. Men Deuteronomy and Numbers, and it's all about detail. And I'm just feeling like I'm just trudging through. I got to get through this book. And the moment I hit a story and something that that is interjected in one of them chapters, it's like I come back alive. Yeah. Something I get my teeth into. And then it'll go back to the feast and the oblations and the offerings. And you got to do this. And then you got to do this. And then you got to do this. And it's just, uh, 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 uh. God called Moses to do all that. You know why? Detailed personality. If I know anything about Moses, I know he's a detailed personality. Because God could have not have called another personality type to have done that. They'd have never made it. They'd have never made it. But that guy, Moses, he had, this is what he cut his teeth on, and this is what he was all about. He stuck to it until that job got done. Brahms Lullaby. How many of you ever, you know, done that song to your kids? Detailed personality type. It took him seven years to finish Brahms Lullaby. Brahms, the guy that actually wrote it, it took him seven years to finish. Detailed personality. A stick-to-it type personality. It took him seven years to finish that song. Why? He kept falling asleep. <laughs> And he kept right at it. <laughs> Phlegmatic personality. Abraham. You see it throughout. He's an even, even keel personality. Never wake up, never way down. Even keel personality. And he is the father of the faithful. God used him in a magnanimous way. 
So don't tell me, oh, it's just my personality type and I really can't be. I'm just not over-enthusiastic or energetic. God used all four different personality types throughout the Scripture. Now let me give you that in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, 10 we have the story of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Let me give you three different personalities in that group. We have Martha, the drumbeat of Martha. The boom, 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 boom. I've got to get the job done, and here's what I've got to do, and I've got to stick with it until the job's done. That is the drumbeat of Martha. Then we have got the flute playing of Mary. And then we've got the trumpet playing of Lazarus. Now, here's the point. Martha's have a mission. But Martha's have got to be careful because the work of God can become more important than the God of the work. Got to get it done. Got to do this. What I got to do. 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 The drumbeat of Martha. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about by many things. One thing is needful. And thank God for people that's willing to work, but there's got to be a fusion of work and worship that go together. Or else your work is just that, it's just work. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And don't you love Mary's? Mary's don't just sing, they really, they really get down. Years ago, Ken Hartman, he told me, he said, you're at least... That's Samantha Payne, you ought to at least pay for her mileage to come over at Centray every now and then and give one of them war hoops out <laughs> where everybody can see what that's about. <clears throat> Marys sit at the feet of Jesus and they don't just go about it, rote type of thing. They feel it, but be careful because flutes are fragile. The Marys of the world have tender hearts. They feel things deeply. Lazarus, his task is on the outside. Because of Lazarus, the Bible says in the book of John, many believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lazarus has a trumpet and he's playing it and everybody can hear. Martha's have a drum for service. Mary's have a flute for worship. Lazarus has a trumpet for testifying. And let me tell you, it don't matter what your personality is, God can use your personality. I am of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will not look back. I will not let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am a disciple of Jesus. I no longer need preeminence, position, prominence, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I am a disciple of of Jesus. I live by faith. I walk with patience. I live for souls. I labor in love. I'm finished with being a selfish taker. I choose to be a joyful giver. I am a disciple of Jesus. 
My mission is clear. I will reach, teach, and serve. I can't be bought, deterred, lured away, deluded, or delayed. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the adversary, nor compromise at the table of the enemy. I will not give up, shut up, let up, till I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up for the preach and, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I will go until he calls me home. I will give until I drop. I will preach until all know. I will work till he stops me. And when he returns for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing who I am. My colors will be quite clear. I am a disciple of Jesus. I don't care what your personality is. You can be a disciple. Every one of us can be a lifeboat, a motorboat. You can be that raft. You can be that canoe. You can be whatever God needs you to be to be able to rescue people. And here's the reason why that flood is real. And because of that flood is real, storms are real. And because that storms are real, what people are going through is real. Doubt is real. Sickness is real. Cancer is real. Divorce is real. Death is real. And when the storm drags on, I can rest assured what's going to happen. Discouragement will set in. And of all the weapons that the devil's got, that's the one he favors the most. You've heard the story where the devil had a garage sale. Gosh, I went to get lumber last week in my truck and had a full load of lumber. And I'm thinking, well, I got I to stay off the main road and I got to go on the back roads here to get home. And that'll be the best way for me to. Good night. That was a mistake. Garage sales one after another. And I seen Patty, boy, she was just really going to get there. And, and I'm thinking, this was a mistake, me trying to get through all these people with this. The devil had a garage sale, and there was a wedge there that somebody wanted to buy, and he said, no, I can't sell that. I put that out here by mistake. Well, I want the wedge. I will not sell that for any price. Well, why is that? That's the wedge of discouragement. I use that against God's people. Preacher, how do I survive a storm? Here it is. Ask for help. Number two, confess your need. Number three, listen to the Lord. See, you need to fight the tendency to withdraw. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, when you're weak, now I want you to say this, in parentheses, here's what you're going to say, I need help. See, the Bible said, when you're weak, then I'm strong. That's what Jesus said to Paul. When you're weak, then I'm strong. When you're weak, I need help. When you're weak, I need help. one more time. When you're weak, I need that's when you can become strong. God can rise up within your life when you realize that, yes, I need help. See, the point is, don't quit. Well, why, preacher? Because sooner or later, the storm will quit. So you shouldn't quit. 
And everybody here of all the storms that we can talk about, I'm sure most here went through some type of storm of doubt in your life. God, why did this happen? Why did it work out like this? I've been paying my tithe. I've been working for you. I've been going to church faithful. Why, why, why did this happen? Heard somebody the other day talking they was bad-mouthing Thomas for doubting. Let me tell you what I think about Thomas. Thank God for Thomas. Well, he doubted. Yeah, but he doubted so the rest of us wouldn't have to doubt the resurrection. But still yet, doubt is going to affect us. It's like the kid that was in college, and, and, and I, there are some people that will answer to God. College professors that try to undermine young college kids' faith. Amen. And a college professor who has really took glee in doing that, and he told everybody he's going to write this paper on evolution, and one young Christian man said, I'm not going to do it. And he said, you'll either do it or I'll fail you in this class. All right, I'll do it. He comes back a week later, and the very first thing he asked, that kid there, you stand up and read your college paper on evolution. I'd rather not. You read the paper. I'd rather not. Let me just hand it in. You read the paper. Read it now. Kid jumps up and says, in the beginning, it was an amoeba beginning to begin. You want me to continue, continue on? And then it was a tadpole with its tail tucked in. Can we continue? Continue on. And then it was a monkey swinging from a tree. And now he's a professor with a PhD. <laughs> That's pretty good. <clears throat> Kid wasn't going to let anybody rob his face. I like that. I like that. God has used people of Orchardville Church to show this whole area how Christian families face the storm and trial of death. And people that would think, well, preacher, I could never rescue anyone. I believe that you can. Go into the book of Acts, chapter 27. Acts 27. I haven't really started preaching yet. I'm just giving you some things here. Acts 27, verse 43. And I'm just not going to read all this, but in verse 41, it talks about where two seas met. They know exactly where that it is. It's still there. Um, how that the, uh, the boat that they was on, the ship that they was on, how it was... Uh, torn in two, the centurion willing to save Paul through all this, probably because Paul had won him to Jesus on the boat ride going to Rome would be my guess. He commanded that everybody jump into the sea. Now, Paul had already told them, you boys listen to what I tell you and nobody will be lost. Isn't that just like a preacher telling everybody what to do? Yeah, you got to love that. That's just like in the Old Testament with Elisha telling the, the woman going to make a, 
make a cake and her and her boys are going to eat it and then they're going to die. And he said, no, don't. You make me the cake. (laughs) So she makes him the cake. I love that. Last verse. And the rest of them, some on boards, two by fours, two by sixes, scrap lumber, and some on broken pieces of the ship. Now, Paul had already told them, ain't nobody, here I'll use this, ain't nobody going to drown. You just grab a hold of something, you're going to survive. I can imagine as all the bigger pieces of wood people have already grabbed a hold of, and now you've got one guy, he's going under, glove, glove, and going back to the top, glove, glove, and he reaches over, and here's, here's a piece of wood about this size right here. He goes, I don't know. Paul said, grab a hold of a piece of wood. And he reaches up, and with one finger grabs a hold of a piece of wood. And the moment he does, his whole body just becomes buoyant. <laughs> just keeping him alive right here. Because he did what God, through the man of God, had told him to do. Even pieces of wood. Now, I don't think that that means that it had to be a certain size. I think it could have been the size of a toothpick. It's like, oh, do you really believe that story about how a fish swallowed Jonah? Man, I tell you what, I'd believe it if it said Jonah swallowed the fish. (laughs) And here he is, the size of a piece of wood like this, and grabs a hold of it, and he survives. Broken pieces of the ship. Paul said, it don't matter, just grab a hold of something. Preacher, I couldn't rescue anybody. My life's just all broken up and it's a mess. I beg to differ. I see in the Bible where this is exactly who God uses almost every time. I mean, if we were to look that day 2,000 years ago and been on the steps of the temple and seen a man climb up those steps to where he could get a vantage point of being able to preach to everyone, and then he starts preaching. And 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. And somebody would have said, who's that guy? We would have said, two months ago, he denied Jesus. What's going on? God using a broken piece. Speaking of preaching, you're looking as an entire, this was 3,000 people. Now it's an entire city from the mayor to the governor, to the president, right down to the person that is the lowest of the low in that city, everybody came to God. How could anybody be used like that? Who is that prophet that's preaching? You'd say, well, he got kicked off a boat and went on a submarine ride. Who, that's Jonah, a broken piece. I just don't buy into this that as long as, you ever, as long as your life has just really been creme de la creme and you've never had a problem in, in your life and nothing's ever happened in your life and everything is just perfect and the only bad occasion that ever happened in your life is you got some mustard on your prom gown and oh, that just was so bad. And you don't know how you're going to live through that. I think God uses the people that's been through the most 
junk. I think the message can come forward through people that's been through the biggest mess. So if your idea is, well, I've got to get everything perfect and then I'll come to Jesus. No, 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 no. Because you can see the old man that's standing there with a shepherd's staff and it's raised over the Red Sea and God uses that man and that shepherd's staff to open up the Red Sea. They cross through on dry ground. All of Israel gets across. The Egyptian army comes through and God levels it all back down onto the end of the sea and they're all killed all them Egyptians. Who was that guy? 40 years ago, he killed a man. Broken peace. Broken peace. A broken peace. See, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid with a church of any size there's always going to be some Pharisee that's got their Pharisee coat wrapped around themselves and they're going to look down their long nose at anybody going through a shipwreck. Or someone that does get shipwrecked and they're going to say, well, I knew it wouldn't last. I knew they wouldn't make it. Because someday, there's going to be a time when you need the mercy. It's like the old bitty woman that griped and complained at everybody in town and criticized everybody and everything that was going on. Finally, it got to the point to where in her her years of living that her own daughter became pregnant and was not married. You know what that woman went and done? With her long Pharisee coat wrapped around her, she went to her bedroom and took out a gun and put it against her head and shot and killed herself. Because she knew she had never given anybody one ounce of mercy and she fully expected the same in return that nobody would give her any mercy as well. Don't belittle people going through a hard spot. Paul says, talking about different things that uh, idol worshipers and and uh, adulterers, and, and then he says to the congregation that he's preaching to, and such were some of you. That's right. I've used this scripture numerous, numerous, numerous times. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this as I read. May the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble. Isn't that wonderful? That is. The God of all comfort, comfort us in our trouble. Now, why is that? Here's the reason. There is a so that involved in this. There's a so that. There's got to be a purpose for this. The God of all comfort comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in trouble. with the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. I like that. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our life, so also through Christ our comfort overflows onto someone else. I think a whole lot of people are going through a whole lot of stuff right about now. Whether it's economy, whether it's uh, things going on throughout the world, whatever the case may be. And don't, don't you dare, not one of us, be willing to lift our nose and think we are just so above what everyone else is going through. That's pharisaical. I'm going to give you a little bitty secret here. If deep down, if I would ask you to say, I am a Pharisee, and immediately, I resent that. No, you resemble that. If there's something in you that coils back against that, preacher told me that 20 years ago. If there's something that just recoils, why, no, not me. Living proof, you is one. Suffering through a shipwreck. Paul suffered through four of them. But he did make it. And he lived to tell the story and help other people going through similar things. Father, I ask and pray for the remainder of this service right now during this altar time. For Lord, this is not and we are not a church that looks down our pious nose at someone that would go to the altar and think, oh my, I wonder what they have done. God, that's not what this church is about, and I'm thankful for that. We want to see your mercy extended. We want to see your grace given to each and every one. For Lord, there are times each and every one of us need it. Paul suffered and survived. Thank God for that. We can too. In Jesus' name, amen.
Close to you, hearing your own. 
It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677. saw Jesus hanging on that tree, lifted up my heart, down on my knees. day I met Jesus, foot of the cross, broken hearted and lonesome.